welcome to episode number 56 of Bill Man, the Sport Guys podcast. I am your host, Bill Man, where I get to report you the latest weekly news from the NFL, NBA, MLB, and NHL. All right, everybody. I, I am, you will all be pleased to see this interview. So for this NFL topic, I have a... Matt Bowen, former NFL safety and current ESPN journalist, will be joining me today as we get to talk about his views on what were his thoughts on the Super Bowl games, who impressed him, what were his thoughts on Tom Brady coming back, Aaron Rodgers signing an extension, the Devontae Adams being traded, and Tyreek Hill going to the Miami Dolphins, and what advice can he give out? And what's his advice to anybody that wants to become an ESPN journalist, a broadcaster, or even in the football world? Hello, guys. Joining me is a very special guest for this NFL topic. Today, joining me is former NFL safety and current ESPN journalist, Matt Bowen. Matt, thank you for joining me. I'm glad to be here. How are you? Doing good. So with the recent Super Bowl... What were your overall thoughts on the Super Bowl game? Well, I think two things. And this goes to what we're going to do uh, with the ESPN matchup show. I do that throughout the season every week. We have a draft show, too. And we base our draft show on the Super Bowl. What are the traits coming out of it? What are the personnel, the schemes that everyone in the league is going to watch? Because everyone watches this tape. And two things that stand out to us is, one, the quarterback play. Ability to throw from the pocket, to see it fast in the pocket. And the other one is the ability to rush the quarterback and disrupt the pocket. And you saw that in the Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford making high-level plays late in that football game. Joe Burrow battling all game. And the pressure that Los Angeles was able to create in the second half of that football game out of multiple loaded fronts. And how draft prospects, we're going to look at how draft prospects fit into that. So those are the two takeaways I have from that game is the high-level quarterback play and the ability to rush the quarterback out of today's multiple fronts. Okay. Who impressed you the most from both the L.A. Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals? Who impressed me most from the Rams? Obviously, Stafford. Uh, we've been talking about Stafford for 10 years, you know, playing noon kickoffs in Detroit, high-level traits, high-level production, hasn't played winning football because of the team he's in. Now you put him in Los Angeles with Sean McVay, who's an outstanding coach, the talent around him. And look what L.A. did. They went out and traded for him. Von Miller. They signed Odell Beckham Jr. They put more talent around him. And you saw in a heavily schemed offense where Stafford can play under center using play action, playing empty formations out of the gun, and attack all three levels of the field. And then it carries over to the Super Bowl because you see it in high-level situations. Obviously, Aaron Donald. You know, everyone could talk about Aaron Donald, but this was Aaron Donald's, one of his big moments of his career, to make critical plays late in that football game. Remember the third down play he made on run game? Stopping there and in the fourth down play where he won his one-on-one matchup, hit Joe Burrow, forced an incompletion, they won the Super Bowl. Von Miller, obviously, what he did, not only in that game, in the second half, but also throughout the postseason run, reminded everybody of what type of disruptor he is and what type of game changer he is. And we've seen the result there was Buffalo going out, giving him a multi-year contract. From the Cincinnati side of the ball, I'm going to mention Jesse Bates, the safety. Jesse Bates was excellent throughout the postseason run, on-the-ball production, range from the deep post, the ability to spin down, the tackle as a cover three safety. I thought he was excellent. And obviously Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. We saw it all year, but again, to see it on that stage, Jamar Chase made plays, and Burrow 
showed everyone just how talented he is, how detailed and nuanced he is at the quarterback position, and how tough he is to play behind an offensive line that we've now seen has been dramatically upgraded. All right. So with the current odds for the Super Bowl, the, the Los Angeles Rams are third at a plus 1,000, and the Cincinnati Bengals are fourth with a plus 1,200. Between L.A. and Cincinnati, who do you think has a better chance at making the Super Bowl next year? I'm going to say Los Angeles because they're playing in the NFC Conference. The NFC Conference is absolutely loaded right now, especially at the quarterback position and difference makers on the defensive side of the ball. And you saw <clears throat> how teams responded in the AFC this year. Denver went out and made the big trade to get Russell Wilson. The Raiders have traded for Devontae Adams. Look at free agency with the Chargers. They had two difference makers on defense. Cornerback J.C. Jackson Khalil Mack used to be here in Chicago. Buffalo went out and got Von Miller. And the reason they got Von Miller is to beat Patrick Mahomes. The last two playoff games of the years, Buffalo has lost Kansas City twice. They've given a combined 80 points to Patrick Mahomes. 80 points, wow. And that's a good defense. That's a good defense, Buffalo. They don't. They they lacked a game changer up front. That's why they went and got Von Miller. So to answer your question, it, it's got to be L.A. because they play in the NFC. Now, there's still teams you have to go to in the NFC. You have to be healthy. But... You have to go through Rodgers and Brady. You understand that. But that's two quarterbacks instead of about eight in the AFC have to go through. And those, the AFC in general, when it starts, you know, the NFL season really starts in Thanksgiving. Okay. All up to then, you're trying to find out your team identity, who you are. Because when Thanksgiving hits, that's to push the playoffs. And those AFC games are going to be like playoff games. Okay. With the, with the performance, is Cooper Cup the best wide receiver in the NFL? No. Devontae Adams is. All right, Devontae Adams is still – I'll put it there's, – there's different ways to define wide receivers. So Devontae Adams, in my opinion, is the most complete wide receiver in terms of release point, the ability to win at the top of the break, the ability to win at the line of scrimmage, his overall route running trades, plus his explosive playability. The most feared receiver in the NFL is Tyreek Hill. And now with, with the recent performance Matthew Stafford had in the Super Bowl, is he a Hall of Famer, or is it still too early to tell? Well, it's later in his career, but it's still – I th- here's the thing. Everyone's going to have the numbers now, right, because it's a passing league. Uh, you know, the passing game has exploded in the National Football League, and the rules are bent towards the offensive side of the ball. So as an ex-defensive player, I can tell you the game's changed so much. You come across the middle in 2003, I could put a helmet on you. You do that now, we get in big trouble. Right? So the game has changed a little bit. It's not as physical across the middle. It's not as physical down the field. So quarterbacks have the advantage. Everyone's going to have these big-time numbers. I think Matthew Stafford is very close. I think he needs another two, probably another two years of high-level production and playoff production, and then he will be. What do the Bengals need to do to protect Joe Burrow? What they did in free agency. You know, they, 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 their sole focus on free agency was rebuilding and upgrading that offensive line. Because you have a quarterback that we talked about earlier who has all of the traits of a, of a top-level quarterback in the NFL. He already has one knee injury because he was hit in the pocket, right? You saw in that Super Bowl game, towards the end of the game, he had another, I think it was an MCL sprain, knee sprain late in the game. I think that was about right. You can't have a quarterback hit that much. You just can't. And, look, he's a great mover. He plays that toughness and that physical element we talked about. I think he's a gamer. But you have to protect the quarterback. Okay. With Tom Brady, the player that was drafted the one pick right after you in the 2000 NFL draft, with him returning, can he still be the same Tom Brady that he was? Yes, he can. 
And I'll tell you why. Because Tom Brady wins before the ball snap. Okay, he sees things so quickly based on defensive alignment, defensive tendencies, that when the ball snaps, he knows where he's going with the ball. He's going to manipulate you with his eyes throughout his drop. He's going to be able to read the field, understand where the voids are, understand where the matchups are, and he throws with high-level ball location. And he's a master inside the pocket. You know, Tom Brady's never been a, an elite mover. We all know that, right? Mm-hmm. But when he's inside that pocket, his movement traits are unbelievable. He can slide, step up, avoid interior pressure. And he plays behind a very good offensive line with a lot of offensive skill players. Okay, okay I'm, this is in two different parts. Mm-hmm. With Aaron Rodgers signing a, an extension, what are your thoughts on the extension, which was a four-year, $200 million deal? I would have done it immediately. Aaron Rodgers is still playing at a high level. He's back-to-back MVP. He can still take over football games. Now, he didn't play his best football game the last game of the year. We all understand that. But that happens in pro football at times. There's no question I would have made that deal because I don't think you know enough of what Jordan Love is at this point. He needs more reps, um, and he hasn't had enough game reps. You're going to make that decision saying we're going to go with Jordan Love and let a top-five quarterback walk. I don't think you could do that. And now the second part. With Devontae Adams now as a member of the Las Vegas Raiders, does Aaron Rodgers need to change his game a bit, and who is going to be his number one guy? With Adams gone. I don't think he'll change his game. No, Rodgers, this is what makes Rodgers so great. And Matt LaFleur's offense, which is very defined in scheme, he has mastered the routine throws. He hits them consistently. He hits the scheme windows off play action. He throws the deep end breakers. Second thing he does, he, he identifies and throws the one-on-ones better than anyone in the NFL. Third thing he does is he still has enough movement traits to make what I call second reaction plays when he gets outside the pocket. Those three things make him elite. Now, well, it changed a little bit without Devontae Adams. Sure, anytime you lose a complete difference maker like that, yes. And who's going to be his number one? I don't think he's on the roster yet. Who, you don't think he is? No. Oh, okay. I think that's someone you draft and develop or a free agent or a trade. Okay. With Tyreek Hill now going to the Miami Dolphins, does this hurt the Kansas City Chiefs next season, and will this have a huge effect on Patrick Mahomes? It does hurt them next season. I said earlier that, you know, we're talking about Cooper Cup. And I do look, I do think Cooper Cup's a top five wide receiver. I'm not saying he's a poor player. But Devontae Adams, the most complete wide receiver. Tyreek Hill, the most feared wide receiver. So if I'm in the field at safety, and I know that Tyreek's out there, I'm supposed to play cover two at 15, I'm not playing at 18. He can beat you at all three levels of the field. He has game breaking ability, game changing ability, dynamic traits, dynamic speed, elusive and fast after the catch. Those things mentally, concern you as a defensive back. They affect what coverages you can do, your depth, your alignment, your angles to the football. So yes, it does change them for this year, but you have to trust Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy. It's one of the top schemes in the NFL. And Patrick Mahomes is a top-level quarterback. They added Juju Smith-Schuster. Gives him a different dimension, more physical presence inside the slot. You still have Travis Kelsey. Nicole Hardman can stretch you horizontally and vertically, but they're going to have to add someone. And I think that's through the draft. Okay, and to anybody who's trying to get to the college football league, the NFL league, or who's trying to become like a sports analyst or a journalist, what advice can you can you give out to the people who are trying to reach in that kind of field? So you want to be in the media business, whether it's podcasting, digital content, TV, print, like I do. Um, be versatile. Okay, think of uh, a defensive back who can play free safety, strong safety, and start in all four core special teams. He's going to have more value. He's going to stick around longer. 
because you can do more things. Think about a utility infielder in baseball. You can play short, second, bat leadoff, pinch run, maybe play some outfield. Again, that gives you more versatility. So my advice is to try everything. Be involved in podcasting. Be involved in digital content. Try fantasy football, which everyone plays. Polish your writing. Write every day. I mean, if you want to shoot better free throws, you shoot free throws every day, right? Same yes. thing. You have to write every day. You have to work and try every day. And don't be afraid to think outside of the box. Don't be afraid to try new things um, to grab some attention. All right. All right. That was Matt Bowen on the Super Bowl thoughts. Tom Brady coming back and Aaron Rodgers extension and the trades to add Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and his advice. So we'll be, I will be looking forward to have him on the show again. And now to the NBA. Got a question for you guys. How concerned should we be about the Golden State Warriors? Now, record-wise, the Golden State Warriors are 48-26. and 26. They're 12 points back behind first place. They're 5-5 five and five in their last 10 with a one-game losing streak. And if we take a look at their schedule, they lost to the Atlanta Hawks 121 to 111. And let me remind you guys that this is without Steph Curry. So Steph Curry, who's pro who's out right now with a foot injury, and you just had Klay Thompson come back, and with Draymond Green. And there was a time where all three were not available to play, though. Now, if you have all three together, I don't think I would be concerned because the Warriors could still compete for a championship since Steph is back and Clay is back. However, come playoff time, Clay, I may want to watch him a bit because let's not forget, he missed like the last two seasons with a serious ACL injury. And Curry missed most of last season, too. Also with a serious injury. So that would be my big concern. Now, if the Warriors are in the playoffs without Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green, I would be. I definitely don't think they're championship contender. But when you have all three together, I still think they can be. But the fact that they didn't, they didn't make the playoffs last season... We'll see how they pan out. So, let me know on Twitter and Instagram at Billman Sports for Twitter Billman at Billman Sports and at Instagram at Billman Sports Guy on if you're concerned about the Warriors. Me where I stand, if Steph's not back come playoff time, I would be a bit, but I still think they'll go decent far in the playoffs. They're definitely not going to win a chip. But when you have all three, I definitely think you I definitely think there's a good case for them to make it to the NBA Finals and win the championship. And now and now it's a major league baseball. Okay, before I get started, there's there were some trades I definitely missed. I'm definitely going to give my thoughts and opinions on this one and you guys can always let me know your thoughts and opinions on the on the trades that have happened. Now, as for the signings, they're, they're going to come. They're going to come within the next two episodes, I promise. There's just been so many. I'm trying to, like, you know, even it all out, basically, if you guys get my meaning. All right. 
We're going to cover the biggest trades that have happened within the last two weeks. The first one is the Minnesota Twins have acquired Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela from the New York Yankees in exchange for Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and catcher Ben Rodvert. Okay. I still don't understand from the Twins' standpoint. I thought they were going to be focused on the rebuilding, but they did pick up Gio Urshela and Gary Sanchez. Now, excuse me, let's be honest. Gary Sanchez is not quite a top 10 catcher in baseball. Defensively, he is just a tragic. Like, he is just horrible defensively. Now, as of hitting-wise, he is so streaky. Like, one season he's good, and then one season he just falls off the bus. 2019, Gary Sanchez went off. 2020, Gary Sanchez fell back, came down to earth. 2021, he was so streaky. He was good at some points, but then it was really bad at some points. So, I hope the, I hope the new change of scenery will fix Gary Sanchez. And as a Gio Urshela, it's not really like a superstar kind of third baseman, but I think he'll be a pretty solid third baseman for the Minnesota Twins. Now, they did trade all of Josh Donaldson's money to the New York Yankees. So Donaldson, I think he'll do fine in New York, but it'll be interesting to see how he and Garrett Cole fit out together since now, besides the beef they had, that they're both now on the same team. Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, while he's not really that great offensively, he the Yankees did get better with a defensive shortstop. Now, as of Ben Woodvert, I don't know too much about him, so we'll see how he pans out. I think he'll do fine in the Yankees, but he really hasn't gotten that much like hitting-wise. So, overall, from the Yankees' standpoint, while they're eating up Josh Donaldson's contract and Garrett Cole's, Giancarlo Stanton's, I definitely think the Yankees kind of got better defensively and as for the Twins, see how it pans out. They got interesting with that take, with that trade. And speaking of the New York Yankees, they traded first baseman Luke Voigt to the San Diego Padres in exchange for right-handed pitcher Justin Lang. Justin Lang, who's more of a minor league pitcher, he could probably fit well in the Yankees pitching system, like when he gets called up in the majors. We'll see how that pans out. As for Luke Voigt, the San Diego Padres may actually now have a first baseman with both Eric Hosmer, which we'll see what happens with him. But with Luke Voigt, offensively, he will mash. And it definitely will help him, too, the fact that there is going to be a universal DH. Now, I definitely like this for the Padres, that they got better at first baseman-wise. And I feel bad for him that the Yankees kind of betrayed him after acquire, even after acquiring and re-signing Anthony Rizzo. I definitely hope Luke Voigt can pan out and be a possible MVP candidate as he was in the 2020 shortened season. As for the Yankees with Justin Lang, there were some bullpen pitchers I thought the Yankees were kind of streaky with. So I'm curious to see how Lang will pay out overall. The next one is the Toronto Blue Jays have acquired outfielder Ramel Tapia from the Colorado Rockies in exchange for Randall Grichik. Grichik, who really hasn't been the same since 2017. However, I do think he can pan out in Colorado as Colorado is a home run ballpark. Now, as for Tapia, 
I definitely think he could be a good off-the-bench player and a good pinch runner for the Blue Jays. He definitely has some speed, and he's fine defensively. Hitting-wise, I hope he gets better. Um, I definitely think he can, but we'll see how this all pans out. So I think this is an even win-win trade for both. All right, now to a big one. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry. Here's another one. We'll just throw him really quick. The Kansas City Royals have acquired Amir Garrett from the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for Mike Miner. Amir Garrett, I, I, when healthy, he's got disgusting stuff. Now, he's known for his crazy temper on the field. Now, a couple really good examples is all the beefs that he had with Javier Baez. And who will always be famously known for trying to single-handedly fight the entire Pittsburgh Pirates team. So, when he stays healthy, I definitely think he could help the Royals bullpen a bit. Now, as for Mike Miner, he really hasn't been the same since 2019 when he was with the Texas Rangers and Oakland Athletics. However... I do think he's just a good like veteran piece for the Cincinnati Reds that they could always trade away at the deadline for future pieces. So I think this is another like even even for both trades. Now, now into the big three that has happened. The Seattle Mariners have acquired Jesse Winker, outfielder, and third baseman Eugenio Suarez from the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for right-handed pitcher Justin Dunn right-handed pitcher Brandon Williamson, and outfielder Jake Farley. Whoo! Okay. I'm basically, I'm basically going to break this down from both sides. From the Cincinnati Reds standpoint, Cincinnati Reds fans, I feel so awfully bad for you guys. You guys deserve so much better than this. Your owner just does not care about winning. I am so sorry, Reds fans, that you have to go through another rebuild. And you know what? Free Joey Votto. Joey Votto, please, free Joey Votto. He deserves a World Series ring more than ever. And now that the poor guy is going to be stuck in a rebuild, ooh, I just feel so bad for him. Now, however... I think just right-handed pitcher Justin Dunn is major league ready. So, however, there, there is a good sign in the top prospect category. And Brendan Williamson and Jake Farley, who I think can be solid prospect in pieces. So, the return is not awful, but at the same time, Cincinnati Reds fans, I feel so sorry. You guys were so close. You were like a shortstop and maybe two pieces away, like an outfielder or a pitcher, from becoming a playoff team. But then your owner just decided to blow it up. Oh, I feel so awful. Now, from the Seattle Mariners standpoint, ooh, after almost making the playoffs, the Seattle Mariners are not messing around. Not only that they signed Robbie Ray, but ooh, they actually signed, they actually also got Jesse Winker and Hideo Suarez. Suarez, who's a good 30 home run third baseman, and Winker, who just came up from an all star standpoint, hitting 300. This was a huge move for the Mariners. This will definitely help boost their chances for a playoff team, in my opinion. Okay, and and then the other one, the other two. The Oakland Athletics traded first base all-star first baseman Matt Olson to the Atlanta Braves in exchange for 
Outfielder Christian Pache, Shea Langlers, right-handed pitchers Joey Estes and Ryan Kusick. From the Oakland Athletics standpoint, Oakland A's fans, just like Cincinnati Reds fans, I am so sorry. I feel so bad that you guys have to go through another rebuild. You guys were, just like the Reds, so close for becoming a competitive team. You you had you could have gotten better, but instead your owner just decided to blow it all up again. Oh. Now, the Oakland A's are not going to be good for a really long time. So, they did get good prospects in return. Kristen Pache, I definitely think he could be a good future core piece for the A's in the outfield. And since it looks like Reimer Loriano is probably going to get moved before the deadline. Same with Tony Kemp. Same with Sean Manaya, And same with Frankie Montas. Now, as of Langlers, Joey Estes, Ryan Kusek, I think they could all be really solid pieces. But as for Matt Olson on the Braves, wow. Matt Olson, who's definitely a top five first baseman in baseball. And last year, he came off a two a year where he hit 271 with 39 home runs, 111 RBIs, and he had a 540, a 371 on base percentage, 540 slugging, 911 OPS plus. Matt Olson on the Braves with Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson. And Austin Riley, that would be a good duo. However, I do feel bad for Freddie Freeman that the Braves kind of disrespected him like that. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And Matt Olson's a Brave. Like, wow. That's really, that's a good trade by the Braves. The fact that they just came off from their World Series, they still want to get better. So I could see that from there. But at the same time, they disrespected Freddie Freeman. Like, how could you? But at the same time... It's part of the business, you know. It is what it is. And now the next Oakland A's trade, which I still feel bad for A's fans, just like Reds fans, where you guys were like two, three pieces away from almost having a dominant playoff contending team, but then your owners just decided to blow it all up. They trade third baseman Matt Chapman to the Toronto Blue Jays in exchange for Kevin Smith, infielder, right-handed pitcher Gunnar Hoglard, and left-handed pitchers Kirby Sneed and Zach Logue. Still, just like the Olsen trade, they got some really good pieces. Now, some solid prospects. I definitely think that could be part of a future piece for the Oakland Athletics. So, maybe could have gotten better in the Chapman trade, but I definitely think they'll still get some solid prospects there. Now, Matt Chapman in the Toronto Blue Jays standpoint. Okay, hot take. Best team in the American League. Everybody got to watch out for the Toronto Blue Jays. They got better on the pitching standpoint. And while, yeah, they did lose Marcus Semyon, but they still got Bo Bichette. They got now have Matt Chapman on the left side. Oh, they still got Teoscar Hernandez, Black Guerrero Jr. Like, oh my goodness gracious. Wow. I definitely think Toronto's Toronto could easily be a World Series contender, in my opinion. I definitely think they got the pieces for a possible World Series contender. Like, wow, that that's a dominant move by the Blue Jays. So yeah, let me know in your let me know in your thoughts and opinions on the trades that have happened. 
Hello guys, I have another guest that is here to join me on this NHL topic. Joining me is a is Alex Gibbs, who has hockey goalie experience. Thank you for joining me, Alex. Thanks for having me, Billy. All right, so we're both going to give our thoughts on some of the biggest trades that have happened at the trade deadline. The first one is the Anaheim Ducks traded Hampus Lindholm to the Boston Bruins in exchange for John Moore, Earl Vakanen, and a first and second round picks. So what are your thoughts on that move? Well, I think uh, Anaheim's trying to pick up younger talent and kind of build their team. And I think Boston's trying to add on and, you know, make another cup run this year. I would agree with Boston. Like, I, I, my little concern is how much longer do they have with the core of Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marchand? Because right. those three aren't going to get any younger. Right. And their goaltending is interesting. The fact that they had Tuka Rask, but then he retired. I still question their defense a small bit because they don't have the guys that they've had for a while in Tory Krug, Sedano Chara, and all that. But from Anaheim, this isn't really a bad move. Like, Anaheim, they've shown some potential, which their rebuild could go a little quicker under Trevor Zegras and Sam Steele. But I definitely think this is a win-win for both moves. I think so, too. Okay, and... This was one of the biggest ones that happened prior to the trade deadline. The Philadelphia Flyers trade Claude Giroux, their captain, and Connor Bonneman to the Florida Panthers for Owen Tippett and a first and third round picks. I don't know the years, unfortunately, but they're first and third round picks. Right. I think uh, that's another situation where Philly's kind of realizing that they got to rebuild a little bit. And they want to get some cap space, so they got rid of Giroux, get rid of some of that big money they're paying him. And that's Florida. I think they're in another spot where they think they have a chance at the Cup. And they want to add some veteran presence in Claude Giroux, some goal-scoring ability, which they need. I would agree there, but I will also say Claude Giroux is one of those players where you're, you're just used to seeing him in a team for so long, and it's just going to be weird seeing him right, in a new right. team. But I definitely think he, he'll be a big boost on Florida's second line. Now, as for from Philadelphia's standpoint, I definitely think they should get younger, as we all know the streak, how streaky they always are. Like, one year they're good, they make the playoffs, right. and then the next year they're bad. Like, they have not been so consistent. Right. So, for Philly, I'm hoping that this trade can just help them regroup, retool a bit and they're younger core-wise, and hopefully we can see them consistently, whether they make the playoffs or don't. The next one, the Buffalo Sabres trade defenseman Robert Hag to the Florida Panthers, and for Florida trades a 2022 six-round pick for Buffalo. I think uh, that's going back to Florida, just trying to build on their team a little bit for a playoff run, and as we know, Buffalo hasn't been good. They tried to rebuild. They had their core guys. Didn't work. They got rid of Eichel. Now I think they're just trying to move some cap space around. Maybe we'll see them in the offseason make a big move for another big player. Ooh. To kind of build off of uh, a re uh, so-called rebuild. I don't know if they're necessarily in a rebuild state as much as they are. Kind of how the Hawks were last year. Maybe we can throw get together a team that can make playoffs and compete. But, um, yeah, I think uh, I think Florida actually did pretty good at the trade deadline. I think they got pretty good. They 
our big team in the East. I think we'll see them go at least past their first round in the playoffs. I would say this also helps Florida boost their blue line and their team overall because they're definitely they're finally competitive and in win-now win mode. But for Buffalo, I'm very interested on your take that you said they can make a big offseason move. Yeah, I think, uh, I think they're just looking to get out of the rut they've been in for the past couple of years and maybe have a, at least, a, if not playoff win, at least have a season where they're above 500 and can give their fans something to be hopeful for. And I definitely think this could be in the right step with Alex Tuck, the big piece in the Eichel trade, and Peyton Krebs. But we'll see how this pans out. Next, we got the Vancouver Canucks making two separate trades. Their first one is they traded Travis Hamannick to the Ottawa Senators in exchange for a 2022 third-round pick. I think, um, I think that's Vancouver trying to get rid of... Uh, Maybe some dead weight. I know Hamannick's been a good player in the past. Um, I've heard rumors that he's not a great locker room guy. Some guys don't like him. But I think um, I think that's Ottawa. They're trying to get better. I think that's a good pickup for him. He's always been a consistent player for the most part. Um, so they're just trying to build their team a little bit. I'm not, I'm not sure where Ottawa is in the standings right now. I know they're not doing great. I, I believe they are right around six, like almost near the bottom as usual. Right, right. So that's another team that's got to try and pick up players that are going to be around for a couple of years and give them a, a backbone for their team. And I know we've seen uh, Vancouver doing some stuff lately, so I know they're another team where they've been in a rut and they need to get better. And they're just trying to shake things up, I think, and see where they can move people and make their team better. I definitely think in Vancouver's standpoint, however, they have been getting much better under Bruce Boudreaux. With Hamannick, I'm a little surprised from Ottawa's standpoint that they should be getting younger. But I guess in the more long term that Hamannick would be at least a decent, good veteran player to have around. And we'll see how he sticks around in Ottawa. And Vancouver again, they acquired Travis Dermott. From the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for a 2022 third-round pick. So, basically, they just swapped a Travis for another Travis. Right. Yeah, I think um, I think that's them trying to just build on their season. A little bit of uh, run they've made since the, the coaching change. And anything they can do to add to their team playing better this year is what they're trying to do. With Dermot, I definitely think he can show some good potential. And at least, I believe, if I'm not wrong, he's six years or three years younger than Travis Hamannick. Right. So I definitely like how Vancouver got a little younger in their blue line. But I do think Dermot could be a good future piece. And we all knew what, what was going to happen in Toronto like with Morgan Riley, Jake Muzzin, and all their cap problems. So I'm right. happy I'm happy for him that he at least gets to go to a young team and really show his true potential. I think he can take over maybe as like a assistant captain or cap, you know, he's a he's a guy who will be a locker room presence. He's young, but he's not too young and he'll play really good for them, I think. Yeah. And speaking of Toronto, one of the biggest moves, they acquired Mark Giordano and Colin Blackwell from the Seattle Kraken in exchange for a 2022 and 2023 second round pick and a third round pick for 2024. 
That's um, obviously Seattle hasn't had a great year. I'm sure they're just trying to piece together their team, get some picks for the future so they can have something to build on. And I actually, uh, I do like that pick pick up for Toronto. You know, veteran guy like Mark Giordano, fantastic defenseman, another presence guy in their locker room. Um, they've had a little bit of uh, goaltending problems, so, you know, they're trying to build on that too. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Toronto does in the playoffs this year. And with Giordano, I definitely think he can be a good veteran help. And let's see if this is the actual move that will help Toronto get through the first round. Because I know in all of us, that's basically the big question. Can the Leafs get through the first right. round? It sounds like uh, that type of move from Mark Giordano sounds like it's a, they're getting him for this year to try and really help them through at least the first round of playoffs. <laughs> Yes, and from Seattle's standpoint, we all knew they weren't going to be a Vegas Golden Knights 2.0. But trading away their big stars now for future assets, I definitely thought that was really smart with Seattle. All right, next, we got the Arizona Coyotes trading goaltender Scott Wedgwood to the Dallas Stars in exchange for a 2023 fourth-round pick. And, uh... I'm actually kind of surprised to see it. I thought that they wanted to build off of Wedgwood as maybe a uh, longer-term goaltender. You know, they've had their struggles. They've had good goaltenders in the past, but it seems like they're always kind of going through guys, and Arizona hasn't been good for years, so that's another let's see if we can pick, you know, start drafting and pick up young guys. I know they've got a lot of problems as far as the building, and they're going to have a goofy playing situation next year, and I'm actually so kind of surprised to see Dallas. I know they've got um, Jake Ottinger, who's been a huge young star for them. I was a huge pickup after losing Ben Bishop. So uh, they actually see Dallas have a pretty good core goaltending. I think they might get better for the uh, second, the end of the season here. I think that actually gives them a big boost. I, from Dallas' standpoint, I agree. And from Arizona's standpoint, I kind of feel bad for Coyotes fans that like the last really good team they had was all the way back in the 2011-2012 season, and they really haven't been good ever since. So I'm, I'm, I'm surprised to see Wedgwood go. I thought he would be at least the goalie for right now that they should right. build around until they find their true young goalie for the future. And hopefully with their pieces, and we'll get to the Arizona Coyotes way later, and speaking of the Coyotes, they made another trade. They acquired the rights of for Jack McBain from the Minnesota Wild in exchange for a 2022 second-round pick. Yeah, that's. Um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised they would uh, get rid of that second-round pick, but I don't know. What are your thoughts? For McBain, the, I, I expect him to sign with Arizona because he never signed with Minnesota. So I'm definitely curious to see how he pans out with the Coyotes and if he could possibly be be a future core piece, but we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. Now, next up, the Washington Capitals bring back Marcus Johansson from the Seattle Kraken in exchange for Daniel Sprong and a 2022 fourth-round pick and a 2023 sixth-round pick. I think... Um, I think... Washington wins that. I think uh, Johansson's a really good player. Gets back with all of his, his teammates, and he'll. Uh, I think that'll be another team that's good this in the playoffs this year. 
From the Washington standpoint, basically on this season, yes. But I would also argue that I felt like they sort of got a little older as Backstrom, Ovechkin, Carlson. They're not going to get any younger. Their goalie situation is really interesting with BK Banachek and uh, Hanson Solnoff, if I said his name correctly. Mm-hmm. But from Seattle, I do like how they got a younger guy in Daniel Sprong. And it's another part, as we were kind of saying earlier, how they're getting younger. Any star current piece they have, trade them away, get future assets, and hopefully become a younger contender within the next three three years, I think. Now, the next one, the Chicago Blackhawks have actually traded Marc-Andre Fleury. He is going to the Minnesota Wild in exchange for two conditional second-round picks. But the conditional picks will be first-round picks if the Minnesota Wild make it to the conference finals and if Marc-Andre Fleury wins four to five playoff games for the Wild. Yeah, I think um, as sad as it is to see Fleury go from Chicago, didn't have the year he wanted here. Um I think he gets a good chance to go and, and win some games and help Minnesota. It's been another team kind of like Toronto where they really can't get out of the first or second round in the playoffs. But um, I, I think I like it for Chicago. A couple first-rounders is huge. Um, big salary they can get rid of. Um, I think the Hawks can can have at least a little bit of trust in Lincoln. And I know it's kind of up to him to have a big rest of the year to get a good contract if he wants to be the starting goalie for the Hawks. Um but, yeah, I think uh, you see Minnesota kind of getting – I'm sure they're getting close with a lot of their core guys to having to uh, figure it out in the next couple of years. But I know Flurry gives them a good chance this year at winning some games, at least in the playoffs. From, from the Chicago standpoint, I do have to give Kyle Davidson a round of applause for at least – I like trade. I, the couple big things is I'm I'm just happy that he at least kept in contact with Marc-Andre Fleury because the big thing that made me a little nervous was, was he basically going to be a Las Vegas Golden Knights 2.0? Because don't forget, when Fleury went to Chicago, Vegas never told him. Him and his agent found out on Twitter from a reporter. Yeah, it sounds like um, Davidson's doing a very good job of it. You know, he had, you know he asked him, do you want to be traded? And he moved his uh, no-trade clause or his no-movement clause, and he – Sounds like he was really personal with him. Do you want to stay here? Because I know Fleury's got a, his family, and I know his, he chose Minnesota because his family is staying in Chicago, and it's close enough he can come back and see his, his, his family. So uh, it's good to see that at least I know you hear a lot from Taze and Kane, their uncertainty of uh, getting traded, and it sounds like they don't feel safe and they're not sure what's next. But they also have to understand that the – organization's going to have to go into a rebuild mode. And, and so uh, at least it's good to see that the GM cares about the the players. Yes, and from Minnesota, I definitely like this as they're definitely in a win-now mode because starting next season, the Parise and Suter contracts will kick in. So I definitely think Minnesota, Minnesota was definitely Flurry's best chance. and I And I'm happy for him that he at least gets a better defensive core right in front of him and with some of the young talent that Minnesota has with Ryan Hartman, speaking of former Blackhawks players, who's almost scoring 30 goals. You got Kirill Kaprizov, who is by far, if not the youngest star in the NHL. And 
I'm I gotta admit I'm a little surprised that we didn't get Capo Kako Kakinen in return. I think him and Lankinen would have been a good duo because the big thing is Colin Delia, who's had had some NHL games in his back, but but is he the goalie? Though? Right. He he's I in my eyes Colin Delia is not a starter. I don't think he'll ever really will be, and he's had a few good games here and there. They know they gave him a, that I think it was like a million a year contract, expecting him to maybe be the next goalie, but. It, kind of clearly shows that he's probably not going to be. And speaking of Chicago, they traded for Ryan Carpenter to the Calgary Flames in exchange for a fifth-round pick. I believe it was a 2022 fifth round, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think that's another just got to get move the older guys, move the – I know he was, didn't have a huge cap hit, but they brought in the guys um, from – Tampa Bay, and they're kind of supposed yeah. to take over that. Tyler that, Johnson. Yeah. that for, Well, oh, Ty, and then oh, Radish. And, yeah, uh, that's right, Radish. And, and, and the other guy, I can't remember his name. Uh, they're supposed to take over that, for, yeah, kind of that fourth line role and a little bit cheaper. So another, you know, not huge, probably doesn't pos- crazy positively or negatively affect each team, but that's just, you know, Chicago tacking on more draft, I mean, more draft picks. From Calgary, I definitely think Carpenter can definitely help out their bottom six as they've been doing so much better. And from Chicago, I'm not too upset about it. I just looked at it more as if Carpenter's a free agent at the end of the year. So it's one of those scenarios where you just don't want to lose the player in free agency basically for nothing. So right, right. why not just trade him for decent asset? And Arizona, they acquired Brian Little's contract and the rights to Nathan Smith from Winnipeg in exchange for a 2022 fourth-round pick. Yeah, um, I think uh, Winnipeg's in another situation where they – I think Winnipeg's got a good team. They've been good. I think they've got a pretty good control on their cap space. I know they've got some high-paid players, but they uh, will be another – they'll have another playoff team this year, and I think uh, think Winnipeg will be good for another couple couple years to come. And. Arizona's just trying to uh, build the best they can. I mean, from the on the joking side of things, we might as well start calling the Arizona Coyotes the Arizona contract team. Right, <laughs> as right. They've taken so Taking many on contracts, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely, I'm curious to see how Nathan Smith will pan out, just like Jack McBain, how they got him from Minnesota. So. There's just some young core players that I'm curious to see how it'll they'll pan out in Arizona. So then the next one is the Detroit Red Wings have traded for Vladimir Namastankinov to the Dallas Stars for a 2024 fourth round pick. I think um, it's pretty interesting in Detroit. They are on the cusp of having a pretty good team. They've got a very young team. They've picked up a lot of. They did a good job scouting and. You know, more cider and some of those good young guys. I think Lucas Raymond, right? I think they're just trying to build on that. I'm, sh- I, uh, I would expect, at least personally, I think Detroit has um, good chance of making playoffs next year and actually putting together a pretty good team. And yeah, I think uh, Dallas is just trying to build on the what they've got already. They're a solid team, and they just want to make playoffs. From Dallas's standpoint, basically from both sides, Vladimir. Vladimir Nastankinov was one I was surprised to see traded as he's kind of stated that he loves it in Detroit and he always did like a jersey tradition every time he scored a goal. So 
Well, I definitely do agree. I do think Detroit can be a playoff team within the next season or two. And for Dallas, this is basically a, I guess I could say a win-now mode as they're kind of interesting in cap-wise. Right. While they, they're still eating up Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan's, and they got Alexander Radulov. So it's it's a very interesting Yeah, that's overall. three expensive players, so they've got to move around that. So they've got to, yeah, make do where they can. All right, the next one, and I've actually wrote this down a little bit in notes. Derek Broussard is being traded from the Philadelphia Flyers to the Edmonton Oilers in exchange for a 2023 fourth-round pick. And let's also add that in Derek Broussard's 15-year career, this is now the 10th team he has joined. Yeah, it's definitely a guy that's jumped around a lot. I'm sure uh, 15 seasons, he's probably getting close to calling it a career. But, um, you know, Edmonton's another team where they're in win-now mode and they really need to, uh, I think, make a, a some sort of a stand in the playoffs and, and do something good because they're a team that they've been struggling goaltending-wise, which is surprising because I've always thought Mike Smith to be a pretty good goaltender and um, – was it Koskinen? Yeah, Koskinen. I always, yeah, I thought he was a half, you know, at least maybe not necessarily a starter, but a good backup. So it's um, surprising to see. I'm sure they're trying to add to their team defensively and, you know, make uh, make it make something happen in the playoffs. And to add with Derek Broussard, would you maybe put him in the top NHL journeyman players of all time? I think so. I think as a guy that's been around, never really gets hurt, always been a good player. And I'm sure that's a, a big pickup for Edmonton is trying to uh, – they do have a relatively young team. I do agree with you there. For Edmonton, I'm just a little surprised that they never really addressed their goalie. While Smith and Kakinen are still solid, but they're older. Like They don't have like a really like true young goalie. And with – Defense, we'll see how they the defense pans out as they don't have Oscar Clefbaum and if the, their biggest two defense acquisitions from the offseason in Duncan Keith and Cody Cece, if they don't pan out in the playoffs, I feel like Ken Hollins then is in for a rude awakening. Right. Yeah, it's kind of surprising to see Edmonton didn't make a move goaltending-wise uh, for the trade deadline. I think they could have gotten a deal done with somebody. But, um, yeah, they. I think they – must have faith in those two guys. And while I do think Broussard can be a pretty good veteran piece. All right, so the next trade, the San Jose Sharks have acquired Kako Kakinen and a 2022 fifth-round pick from the Minnesota Wild in exchange for young prospect Jacob Middleton, who I believe is a defenseman. Yeah, I think uh, San Jose is kind of in a rebuild state. They've uh, had to get rid of a lot of – they've, you know – Joe Thorne, all their older guys they've, in the past couple of years they've lost. And uh, I think that's kind of a fair player-for-player player trade. Maybe they'll just, they're will just they just hoping those two guys work out with new scenery. For Minnesota, I do think Middleton can pan out. But as for Kakinen, I really believe the Wild are doing him a favor. As And, and to be completely honest... With their acquisition of Marc-Andre Fleury and with Cam Talbot, I don't think he really wants to be a third-string goalie. Right. So I definitely think going to a young team like San Jose, he could definitely prove that he can be their number one goalie if it does work out. 
in the future. Yeah, kind of surprising to see um, Minnesota get rid of a young goalie like that versus getting rid of Cam Talbot. But you know, I think uh, I think Cam Talbot's a great goalie. Mark Andre Fleur. That's probably going to be more or less. I think this one of the strongest, if not the strongest, goaltending duos we'll see in the playoffs this year. For sure. The Colorado Avalanche have acquired Arturi Lekkinen from the from the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for Justin Bourne and a second round pick for 2024. I think um, I think personally that Colorado is the best team in the league right now. Um, they're trying to build on. I know they had uh, big injury in um, uh, McKinnon. McKinnon, but uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm I think. Uh, there's not much Colorado can do to make them that much better or worse, but I think uh, I think it's a big year for Colorado as far as doing something big in the playoffs because, uh, yeah, they've got such a good team. They've had such a good year. From Montreal's standpoint, it's definitely surprising to see them like all the way this low, especially after making all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. And, but from Colorado, I definitely like how they're adding more depth that could hopefully help them in the postseason. And I do think they are one, if not the best team in the league as well. And I definitely think they're definitely in my top five teams who I think have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. So I definitely think adding Lekin in, kind of like a new change of scenery, but he can also really help out Minnesota. Uh, not Minnesota, I'm sorry, Colorado in the long term. Right. Now, one of the biggest trades that happened at the deadline, the New York Rangers have acquired Andrew Kopp and a six-round pick for 2023 in exchange for Morgan, Morgan Barron, two conditional draft picks. I didn't get too much. I didn't see too much information on what the conditional picks are, but they're for 2022 and 2023. Yeah, kind of, uh, kind of a little bit surprising to see New York give up on Barron like that or just kind of move him. Um, I think New York actually has a very good team. They've had a fantastic um, goal, you know, goaltending this year. And uh, I forget his name. Uh, Shesterkin. Shesterkin. He's been unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, I think think that's big for Winnipeg. I think that makes them better this year. And those draft picks help them in the future. Yeah. but yeah, I think uh, I think that New York will be a pretty good team. I definitely think the Rangers can, and I think adding Cop should definitely help out their top six because that was what the Rangers were really looking for. And as for Winnipeg, wow, I know that the results aren't really what they would have wanted. So I definitely think they. I like how they're they're taking a quick retool, trying to get younger. And for the Rangers, I definitely think Cop can be a really big help from their second-line scoring, and I definitely think they are a team to watch for the postseason. And now for the one of the biggest trades that did happen was one out of the two, if I could find it. I found it. The Pittsburgh Penguins have acquired Ricard Raquel from the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for the rights to goaltender Callie Klang, a 2022 second-round pick, and Ford's Zach Aston Reese and Dominic Simone. Yeah, pretty big move on uh, both parts. Um, tell me what you think. I, this is definitely huge. I think for Pittsburgh, 
I definitely think they're one of the teams that do have a chance to win the cup. So I definitely think Ricard, Raquel can help out right around their top six, top nine. I'm shocked that they got rid of Aston Reese, Zach Aston Reese, and Dominic Simone. But since Anaheim's in a rebuilding mode, at the end of the day, it makes sense. Yeah, I think, uh, and and Anaheim's actually had an okay year. I mean, I don't know. I don't think they'll make playoffs, but they are at least above 500. So they're in a rebuild state, but they're doing good. All right. And and for the last and final big trade that happened, the Carolina Hurricanes have acquired Max Domi and defense prospect Tyler Anamoto. It's basically in a three-team trade. They acquired both those guys for Columbus in exchange for defenseman prospect Aiden Hrishek and the Florida Panthers receive forward prospect Igor Kershaw and a six-round pick in 2022. So it's basically a three a three-team deal. Three-team deal. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's big for Max Domi. I think he needed to change the scenery. I think he's a good player, but uh, was kind of struggling under the coaching set staff and. Maybe that system, um, I, and I think Carolina is in the top, maybe three or four teams that could win the cup this year. They're very strong. I, I think that just makes them that much better. Kind of gives them, uh, it gives them a good scoring presence. But he's also a tough player. Kind of builds on their toughness. And I know they've got a, they've kind of been Chicago in the past where they haven't really had size and toughness, but they do have good skill. I would agree there. I definitely think. This is definitely a good change of scenery for Max Domi. I really think he will help out Carolina in their playoff run. And as for Columbus, they're definitely in a rebuild mode, so it makes a ton of sense. And I do believe this is also a sense where you get younger guys, and I definitely think that could help out in the long run for Columbus. And for Florida, while they're definitely in win-now mode, but adding another prospect doesn't really hurt. Right. And it's cheap on the, on the cap hit and everything like that. So, yeah, another smart move by Florida. I think they've been very smart this trade deadline this season. All right, and then got a few questions. With all the big moves that have happened, who do you think are the winners of the deadline? I think, uh, I think Minnesota's a big winner. You know, that they've got, like I said, pretty much the strong, if not the strongest, goaltending tandem in the league now. Um, I think Tampa Bay made themselves stronger picking up Brandon Hagel, a very good young prospect. We, you know, broke my heart to see him go from the Hawks. Was, Same. Was probably my favorite player, had tons of potential, but they picked up, you know, I think he's in up for contract pretty soon. No, I think he's got like two more two years, years at, at like $1.5 billion. huge. If, if he plays great the next two seasons, that's huge for a team like Tampa who's got Dang. so many players they pay a ton of money to. So I think uh, – I think him alone made that a huge win. I think even the Hawks maybe did pretty good. I don't know um, a winner as far as you know anything big happening, but they've got a lot of draft picks and they've moved you know their cap. I know next year they're adding I think a million to the cap space for everybody. So I think uh, I think the Hawks set themselves up pretty good for the next couple of years. I would agree there. Another team I may throw at the window. I would kind of also give probably Vancouver too, because I and Florida, because I do like. I'll I'll also add the Rangers, 
the Florida Panthers and the Vancouver Canucks. My main reason for the Rangers and Panthers, how they're both really good and they're basically in win now mode. And I like, I like how they boost it up as for, as for basically Vancouver, mainly with the Dermot trade, how I like how they kind of got younger in their defense line. As I've said before, how Dermot's basically, he's still kind of younger, but he's not like really, really young. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think this could help out Vancouver in the long run. All right, and which teams do you think are the losers at the deadline? Um, you know, that's a good question. Maybe Arizona a little bit doesn't really seem like they went anywhere. Um, had to, they took on a lot of those contracts, and they didn't, you know, necessarily make their team better. Um, maybe. I'm trying to – I don't know. Who, who do you think? One team I'll throw in is the L.A. Kings. The fact that they've surprised most of us, I'm just surprised that compared to how we said about the Rangers and the Panthers, how they're basically trying to help boost up their lineup for the playoffs, I'm just surprised that L.A. was a little too quiet for my liking. I can see that. Um, I would also add maybe – just maybe, I'll, I'll kind of toss in Dallas. They kind of did get better in the forward skater department. I'm just surprised that they didn't really go after another goalie, basically. I can see that. So that's, I agree with you in Arizona. Now, I, I'm just surprised that they almost didn't trade basically everybody. Right. <laughs> just start fresh. Yeah. And I guess to add to that, are there any players that you're surprised that didn't get moved at the deadline? Yeah, um, from the you know the Hawks because it's the team I follow the most. Uh, you heard so much about Strom all year, didn't get played at the beginning of the year, and then he stays. It almost seems like under the new coaching staff and maybe even Kyle Davidson that they think that Strom could be one of those core pieces to build around moving forward, especially because. He's had such good chemistry, and he's played with Strom, or I'm sorry, Debrinket since uh, juniors. And, and Radish since he's and Radish, the Yeah, they've, I think, um, so I, I'm, I'm maybe not a huge surprise, but uh, I know because of, of how things have been, but Tay's almost, um, you'd like to, you know, he's got, I think, what, ten and a half million. Yes. Hasn't played, you know, I think it might be because, um, his trade value is so low at the moment because he didn't he hasn't played the past couple of years and hasn't really had ba- a great season. Basically, the last year because because right. he, he did play in their twenty twenty like bubble round playoffs. Uh, and while it's not really his fault that he missed a year, like he had a serious medical issue that kept him out. Mm-hmm. So not his fault, but just almost a little surprising. You know, they've got they've definitely got decisions to make um, soon. I, yeah, Calvin DeHaan. Um, especially the comments he made saying that he was kind of wanting to get traded. You, you don't like to see that, especially from, you know, Ooh, the team you cheer for. Really? I did not hear that. I heard, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he almost seemed like he was not happy he didn't get traded. He would have, uh, and I think it kind of boils down to him being a veteran guy. He wants to be somewhere he can make a push for maybe a last cup. Um, so kind of surprising. He's, uh, you know, got a, we pay him a lot, so big cap hit. So surprising we didn't see him move. Now, for me, three really big players that I was surprised I didn't see get traded. Calvin DeHaan was one of them. 
I just looked at it more kind of like with Ryan Carpenter, how he's a free agent at the end of the season. So it's better to when you're a rebuilding team like the Blackhawks, you you want to trade him, get good decent value in return. And I actually thought we could have got a decent value in return. I thought we could have got like a level B C prospect and maybe a third round pick, mm-hmm. worst scenario. Uh I'll throw in Dominic Kubalik. While, yes, yeah. this season was a down year, and speaking of Kubalik, he did score a goal in yesterday's loss against the Vegas Golden Knights, but I just thought, you know, the path the Hawks are in, the new change of scenery, and it didn't seem like, excuse me, that at first he was in their future plans. I think uh, I think he's another one of those players that falls under the role of uh, him not having the greatest season for the Hawks might benefit them when he comes up for a contract year. If they want to keep him around as a young guy to build around, they've seen his potential. They know he's had a down year, but with everything that's gone on in the organization, the, the GM change, the coaching change, all yeah. of the um, stuff that happened with Kyle Beach, it's you know it's been a very tough year for the organization. So I think maybe keeping him around and building around him as a top six guy isn't the worst thing in the world, and they can maybe get him at a bargain. I would agree there, and it's also been sitting around in my head about the future picks, which we'll get to later, but one big player that I was very surprised to not see traded was Phil Kessel from the Arizona Coyotes. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Kessel's contract is also up at the end of this year, and I I was just very shocked to see him stick around Arizona. Yeah, it's uh, it's I'm and I haven't really been tracking him. I don't know how he's doing points wise this year. Um, I can look that up. Well, you give up the surprise. You don't see a team like uh, maybe not necessarily Toronto, but a team that's looking for an offensive push from a, in a in a veteran presence. Pick up a guy like Kessel. Um, he is older. Yes, and to add to since you said how he's doing, Phil Kessel in 64 games played has seven goals, 32 assists for 39 points, but he is a minus 14. Right, and it's uh, you know seven goals out of Phil Kessel, who's really not known for his his uh, playmaking. You know, and 30, 32 assists is almost surprising that he's done well in that category, and only seven goals. I mean, we're used to seeing 30 goals a season out of a guy like Phil Kessel. And I definitely agree with you there. I do think Kessel could have been a big a big offensive help, probably for a team like Toronto. And I guess to toss another player, I was surprised, somewhat, some not. Um, Shane Gossespierre, I believe they, if I'm not mistaken, I think they signed him to a one-year deal because I think Philly bought out or they traded him. Mm -hmm. And another was um, Brett Ritchie, who they got from the Maple Leafs. I was just surprised that they didn't move him like that quick to get younger, basically. So, now to go back on the Blackhawks as where we where we stood at with winners and losers at the trade deadline. Here's what Jonathan Taze Patrick Kane had to say from Jonathan Taze on the Blackhawks rebuild. For the longest time, the thought never entered my mind to leave Chicago. In this case, you can't help but picture it yourself and what it'd be like to play for another team and what that experience would bring. And for Patrick Kane, respectfully, didn't felt like this is the right time to discuss the future. Not right now. So this is his actual quote. Not right now. That's a discussion for a different day over the summer. Whatever it is, but I'm happy. I'm here right now. 
and just going to try finish this season strong. So, with the quotes from Tazen Kane, what are your thoughts? Um, it's it, uh, it it it's starting to sound like um, Taze is kind of m- maybe with all the young guys. I know he's been making a lot of comments about the young guys and the good teammates seeing going away. He's kind of seems like he's unhappy with the organization. He has spent his entire career here, so he may see these guys going to different teams, and he is thinking. You know, it might be nice for changes to go and play somewhere else, see what it's like to play in another big city, be on another team where he can maybe make a push. Um, so uh, I actually could see. I'm not sure if they have. I'm sure they have no trade clause or no movement clauses. I to believe. An extent. I believe they do somewhere around but, there. Um, I I would see. Uh, I would if I had to guess. I'd see maybe in this off season we'll see Tays traded to a Canadian team, whether it be. Maybe at, you know it, he's someone's going to get him at a bargain. I think, and he's at ten and a half. I think that's going to drop to maybe like a two or even a three. You know, three million dollar contract for maybe two or three years. You can see if Toronto's got the space, maybe Toronto or Edmonton. Um, he'd be huge on Edmonton, Winnipeg. Um, he is. I know he's a Canadian. I'm not sure where he's from, but he's a Canadian guy. It does seem like a lot of these guys like to go back and play for Canada, a team in Canada. Um, so, yeah, I, I can definitely see uh, Taze going. doesn't seem like he's very happy. And then for Kane, I think uh, – I know Kane made the comment that uh, it's pretty cool to start and finish the same organization. There's pretty much not – you know, there's only been a handful of guys that have ever done that. Um, seems like he really loves it in Chicago. Doesn't seem to be – I'm sure he's bothered by seeing his, you know, line – you know, was that line mate with Hagel for a while. So I'm sure he doesn't isn't happy to see those guys go. But uh, – he can get the money here. He can get the money anywhere. He's going to be another huge count. He's still probably going to make, I'd say, above $5 million for probably another four- or five-year contract. Um, so, it, it, you know, or in, if he can go into talks with the team, they might make a big trade for him. But uh, I, I think I could see Kane sticking around. Um, I think I'd like to see him stick around. I mean, he's so good. He still produces. He's, oh, he's in the top. 10 if not 5 in the league in points every year. Um he's a huge player. If you can if you know if you can if the Hawks maybe make him you know if you finish your career here maybe he'll take a million or 2 million uh, off of his contract his next contract. So I think the Hawks are in a good setting with Kane and not so good with Taze. So well, I wouldn't be surprised to see Taze out and Kane stay in the next couple of years. I definitely, I'm definitely in the same boat, but for my partial save I have for days, like it's not really his fault. Like he missed a year, but he did also voice out the same kind of frustration after, after the 2020 Stanley cup, when the Hawks didn't re-sign Corey Crawford and then they traded Brandon Saad. So I can understand from Taze's standpoint, but as for team, I think Winnipeg and Toronto could make some sense. Now, as for a team in America, Boston, uh, Boston, maybe somewhere big. I, I see. Um, I definitely see Taze trying his hardest to go to a playoff contender team. Um, I don't, you know, you see a lot of guys. It's and it's funny. You see a lot of guys go to like not hating going to Anaheim, Arizona, or the Florida teams because it's. Um, because of the wet, you know, Dallas, it's a good place to live. It's you finish your career, you can make some good money, and you live somewhere nice. Maybe you don't care so much about how the team is. If they're a good winning team, then that's a bonus. You know, I could actually see Taze going to Florida. You know, uh, the Panthers. 
I could see a, him going to the you know the Hawks in, in Florida make a lot of. Um, they seem to be two teams that make a lot of trades with each other are always in good standings, and even even Tampa Bay, you know the Hawks. Like we just made the trade with and go. I could uh, I could even see Taze going to Tampa Bay. You know, the Hawks in Tampa Bay always talk. They always make trades as well because Hagel just went there. You know, um, him like it seemed like Hagel was the one he was the most upset about, so he could reunite with Hagel. Um, so I think uh, I think the, there's a lot of possibilities for Taze. I think we won't really know till maybe this off season. Yes, and for Patrick Kane. For those of you who don't know me this long, I am a Patrick Kane is probably like my all-time favorite hockey player. So he from basically from his comments, I don't blame him in the way of that he just wants to focus on finishing the season strong. Like he doesn't want the distractions coming at him right at during the season. And if we take a look at Kane's point-wise, he's got 78 points in 62 games. And for a guy who's second all-time in assist and points while I know he's like right around the top five, six in goals with 425. And I, I could just see a scenario. I could still see Kane stick around. I still think he's worth his contract between him and Taze. And if the Hawks were to move a young guy like Debrink or Strom, then I could maybe see Kane out of there. But I definitely think Kane should be the one player that the Hawks should still stick around until some like someone that's like as good as him can just basically come in and be the Yeah, PK. I think uh, I think um I'd be very very surprised to see Kane get moved or go anywhere. Um I I think I I think he'll stay. I think they'll make it work with him, but you do see all these, you know, Kyle Davidson moving all these guys and kind of being um but with Davidson, I, I do like how he's at least keeping in contact. Like, right. Like he's not being like how Vegas was doing earlier. Or, right. He at least, but he does seem to be oriented in the mind of we need to rebuild and we need to make smart contracts. So that has me worried about Kane. But like you said, I mean, pretty much uh, by the end of his career, will go down as the best American-born player of all time. You know, it's huge. He's he, like you said, he's so good. He's still worth his contract. I think as long as the Hawks have the money, which they should, no problem, they'll keep him around. Um, yeah, guys like Debrinket. I mean, it'd be crazy to see them get rid of Debrinket. You know, he's so good. He's gonna. He's got like, what is it? Almost forty goals, or he's over forty goals. He's he's at thir- he's at thirty seven. So he's almost at forty. Yeah, I mean, a guy who gets who has had forty goal season, and you know, and he's so young, and he has such great chemistry with Kane. It's like. It used to be Tane K's, Taze and Kane, and now it's Dumbrinkit and Kane. And yeah. I think it'd be crazy to split those two guys up and get rid of either. I mean, like, and he's went from guys from like Brandon Saad and Brad Richards when they won the cup to like Patrick Sharp and Michael Hanzus, and and uh, he's also couple. Everybody remembers the Panarin Anisimov Kane line, right. which was even though that didn't last long, but I would almost argue that's like right up there. At one of the best. One of the best lines I've ever had. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy, you know, it's crazy to see Panarin go. So you kind of just, it's been a shaky organization for the past six, seven years. But I think uh, I think they're settling down. Uh, I actually like King as their new coach. Um, the players seem to like him. He seems to be smart, not doing anything crazy. And I like Davidson, too. He seems like a pers- personal G- uh, GM and seems to be doing a good job. Now, 
In your own opinion, from the forward standpoint, who do you think should be the new face of the Hawks, like after the post Taze Kane era, as of right now? I think um, as far as players they've got, I think your your main guy has got to be Debrinket. I mean, he he's up there in points in the league every year. He's top ten, top fifteen every. I mean, in, in my you know he's I almost think he's a better Patrick Sharp. I mean, he's got a very, very good uh, goal scoring ability, and, he, and, he's, and he's very up. And he he plays hard. He plays aggressive for a guy who's only five seven. Plays very hard and aggressive. So, and and I think uh, I think that you, Dobrynkin's one of those guys where he's you know top ten guys in the league, and you you kind of you really got to build on him and make him the, the next face of your organization. I think uh, even if you're in rebuild mode, he's the one guy you rebuild your team around. I definitely say to bring it for sure, but as of Fords, a couple players I kind of kept bouncing back and forth on Kirby Doc and Dylan Strom. While Kirby Doc, while he did miss most of last season with a wrist, from wrist surgery, and he's he's doing okay. Um, I definitely think he he can still be a really solid player. But as for Strom, I would also argue him too goes back to with Debrinket how he had the two had the same chemistry together with the late not the Lake Erie Monsters the the junior team uh I, yeah I can't remember the name uh, I, yeah, yeah I think um yeah Strom you know he's he's not the strongest but he's he's a Saad-esque player I think maybe even a little bit more skilled than Brandon Saad may may end up with uh, 10 20 points more than Brandon Saad did so I think he's a great guy to build around I think he's a guy who's good um contract wise I think you can get a fairly good contract for him and not have to pay him a crazy amount of money and get a so 70 point season 80 point season out of him I think uh, Doc I, I do like Doc as a player. I think he, he's shown tons of potential, but uh, he kind of scares me. Um, you know, who he reminds me a ton of is uh, Nick Schmaltz, who used to be on the Hawks. Tons and tons of potential, but just could never really like kind of put it together, never had the points, never had the goals. It surprises me that I don't, we don't see Doc with a lot more points or goals. Um, he's had the injuries. He's, had the, he's still very young. I think he's another guy you keep around and you build around because – because he hasn't played great, you can get a good contract for him. I think you, he's another guy. I'm not sure when his contracts do, but I think uh, if it, I'm sure it's in the next couple of years. I think he's a guy you give him like a four or five year contract, and you can. If I think within the next two years, he'll probably have at least a 20 goal, 50 assist season. I think he's another guy who can get about 70, 80 points, or he even has the, has the potential to be a very, very good player. Reminds me of uh, Rick Nash, tall, Ooh, strong, wow. but he's just young, so we'll see. I think you got to give him more time. And now the final question I have is, we all know where the Hawks have been. They've had Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook for so long. Who should right now be the face of the Blackhawks' blue line? Um, that's a good question. I uh, Maybe the face, I think... Uh, I think um, Jake McCabe has actually been a very – maybe not the face, but he's been a good player. He came over, didn't start great, but I think his last his last maybe, you know, month that he's played a lot better. Um, Murph, I've always liked Murphy. You know, they seem to like him in the organization. Um, 
I'm a big Gustafson fan. I think we keep him around. He's a good offensive defenseman. Um, but I think that's another aspect where the Hawks need to, with these all of these draft picks and prospects, they need to uh, start kind of rebuilding a young defense again. I definitely think they need to get younger in the defensive side, as we all know, after 2017. But as of right now, I just think it should go to Seth Jones and Connor Murphy. The fact that the Blackhawks have Seth Jones for basically another eight years at like more than $60 million. And while Seth Jones, he's the goals aren't really showing, but he's definitely, I definitely think he's gotten better offensively. I think, uh, I think he, and I 44. think he's, um, I want to say he's uh, maybe top four. I think he, they think they were saying in the game the other night, he's uh, like fourth in the league in uh, ice time. So he's a guy who gets a ton of ice time. Yeah, I definitely thought when they made that acquisition that that was good, that was huge. I know. Uh, Every time we played against him when he was on Columbus, he was kind of like uh, he was always a he always played very very good against the Hawks goals you know I, so it is kind of he hasn't played as great as we thought he was going to but he's another guy let the team settle in you, you know you've got like you said you've got him for another eight years you you know he's going to be your you know one of your top two defensive guys he's very good I think. Uh, I think his play maybe if he's you know his plus plus minus isn't that good is more of a team you know. Reflects badly on him because the team as a whole hasn't played great yeah. more than anything. Now, for Jones, while I definitely think he can get better, and he's only 26 if I'm not mistaken, he this, this situation almost, when I first heard it, it did also remind me of Brent Seabrook where you sign him to a long-term deal like a year after they're finally having a good year. But, but for Jones... I definitely, between him and the contract and from when the Hawks did it with Seabrook, I think Jones could be a better one between the two. And as for, I definitely think Connor Murphy, as he stuck around for the Hawks for the last, like, four years, and I would argue that he's arguably been, like, their best defenseman. Yeah, I, I would say around. so. I think, yeah, I, I, don't, uh, I don't see any problems in Seth Jones. I, he won't get any worse you know, kind of was a fast decline with Seabrook, but I think he's, he's you know, Seth Jones to me is still top five defenseman in the league. Um, he definitely had much better playing partners, at least offensive playing partners in Columbus, but I think uh, I think he's been pretty good. You know, he's settled into Chicago. I, I will see good things out of him in the next couple of years. So, yeah, like for defense, I think it should be Seth Jones and Connor Murphy until you get like a real true – Superstar, like I guess to jump on the Hawks defense, one defenseman. I'm not surprised. I, I shouldn't say I'm not surprised. I'm very surprised that they've never gave a chance. Is uh, Nicholas Bodan? Yeah, he uh, the, the couple of games he's come up, he's played really well. So it is surprising to see him not get a big chance and play a lot more uh, ice time and, and just be in the. You know, I I don't I like Ian Mitchell too, but I think Bodan is the better of the of the the guy you know of all the guys on Rockford. I think Bodan's probably your best defenseman. Um, have hated Caleb Jones. I actually thought Caleb Jones been playing really really good, but I think your top four defensemen can be you know yeah Murphy Jones, Gustafson and, and McCabe, McCabe or even yeah moving forward Bodan can in the bottom two can move into that bottom two slot. I think you got to get rid of Dehan. This uh, off season, and and fill those slots. I think I, you know, Caleb Jones is he's I think what twenty two. 
Yeah, he he. No, I think he's um twenty five. He's twenty five, I believe. Yeah. yeah, he's still a young guy. He's like said, played good. He's got potential. So. All right. Thank you for joining me, Alex. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, Alex Gibbs, everyone. All right. So let me know your thoughts and opinions on all the moves that have happened today, and especially with some of the. The questions like all the NHL trades, all the signings, especially in the NFL, especially with the Tyree Kill trade, all the Major League Baseball trades, and what to think about the Golden State Warriors. So thank you for tuning in to episode number 56 on Bill Man, the Sport Guys podcast. I am your host, Bill Man. Stay tuned for episode number 57. Peace.